We love FCC um, and we feel like it has helped us to grow not only individually, but it's helped us to grow together um, as a couple and it's helped us to grow together as a family. This is a place that um, sees the mission of Christ and is the actual hands and feet of Christ and we feel like that's one of the, the ways that um, we want to invest our time and we want to invest our money and we want to invest our resources in, in doing God's work. This is something for God's kingdom. This is something that can progress the way God wants things to go. Uh, I feel like, you know, a lot of it has to do with, you know, you, you need to be 100% committed. And if you're all in, then your heart is in the right place. I think in this next season, as the church um, embarks on Cannonball, I personally feel like God is calling me to give. So not only with my financial resources um, and to, to step out over that 10%, um, but also with being able to give more in my community. Um, so in, in our Sunday school group, in our small group, in FCC Kids where I serve, I feel like he's calling me to, to share, um, whether that be time, whether that be a word of encouragement, whether that be a shoulder for someone to cry on or to, or to listen, an ear to listen. I feel like God is calling, um, calling me to, to give in, in a multitude of different ways. And He's given us so much that I feel like it's hard not to to have that overflow. And I can't just keep it for myself. I need to give it away. Um, this place welcomes everybody. Uh, you know, the shirts that we wear love everyone. Uh, you know, that's, that's for a purpose. Uh, everybody's welcome. And we want to make sure, you know, that's known so uh, that's exactly why FCC means so much to me. It's definitely something that you want a church uh, to be because that's exemplifying the love of Christ. He loves everybody. In trying to do all that, you're fully grasping what Cannonball truly is all about. And when you do that, I feel like then you're going the extra mile to meet the needs of others, to serve others, to love people like they should be loved to give and be good stewards of fellowship and great disciples for God's kingdom out in this world. That's what he calls us to do. Well, good morning, church. It is good to be with you. Welcome if you're a guest here. You're here on a good day. We're in the middle of a fun series. It's called Cannonball. But one of the things about this series is it requires materials. It requires a booklet, and we've got one for you. If you brought your booklet with you, great. But if you didn't bring one, no worries. We've got one for you. You're going to need it today. We're going to use it. So just put your hand up. If you don't have one of these, we'll put one in your hand. One for everybody. You don't have to share. You get your own. So just throw your hand up there. We want to get one to you. They're flying through the air. Uh, so there you go. We got some up in the balcony too. So get your hands up high so we can find you. Don't let us miss you. We'll get you a booklet. Uh, we're an exciting season as a church. Uh, we're challenging one another to go all in in our discipleship in a season of full surrender 
in faith and life and generosity, trusting that God wants to accomplish great and significant things through our congregation. Uh, I was talking with our elders uh, Thursday night, and I said, okay, so what questions are you getting about Cannonball that I need to make sure that I answer uh, in the service? Uh, and so here, with three questions, they said that they were getting most often. So I'm going to answer them real quickly, okay? Number one, they said, people are asking, how do I learn more about the building? Okay, great. Uh, you can do that in your booklet on page 17 and 18. Or you can go down to the downstairs to the atrium to the Cannonball Hub. We've got a big TV set up there that has pictures, and you can get more information about the building there. Uh, we, they said some people are asking, explain this one fund thing. Like, are we going to have a building fund and a general fund? How do I give to the general fund? How do I give to the building fund? Okay, if you have questions about that, you can turn to page 19 in your booklet, and it will explain how the one fund works. The simple version is this. All of our generosity during this cannonball season is to cannonball, not to a separate fund. It all goes the same place because we have one mission. It just so happens that in this season, that mission includes a major facility investment. So it's all one gift to the cannonball fund over this two-year season. Uh, The third question that they said people were asking was, okay, if it's one fund, how is that fund going to be distributed? Uh, So that's a great question. We got a little picture up here just to explain it to you. So our annual budget is right around $3 million dollars. So over two years, that waves of ministry, that's our core budget. That's kind of the first distribution of the cannonball generosity. The second piece are these impact projects. That will be 10% of whatever the total pledge. So this graph, this is imagining maybe our total pledge is 13 million. The impact projects will get 10% of that. That's for the projects with the hungry, planting new churches, advancing ministry preparation, global mission, those projects we've talked about. And then the remainder, the waves of legacy, that is what will be invested in taking the first steps toward the new and remodeled facility that we need to serve us for the next 50 years. So that's how the one fund will be distributed. Obviously, if you've got more questions about that, you can go to your booklet, pages 15 through 18. It talks more about how the funds will be used and distributed. All right, so those are some of the questions we've been getting and some answers. Uh, there was one other question. Now, this one wasn't frequently asked, uh, but one person asked it. And so I want to address this one, too, because I love this question. And even though only one person asked it, my guess is others of you have this question. And the question uh, was phrased something like this. What What should I do with all this cannonball stuff if I'm convinced that all this talk about discipleship and going all in for Jesus... All that's just a smokescreen. And really, this is just about getting more money. One person asked that. And I love that question. Because my my guess is some of you are wondering that same thing, you know? Uh, And and it's a good Sunday to ask, because actually today, uh, you'll be thrilled to discover, uh, today is all about money. We're just going to talk about money today. Uh, It's all about money. Uh, and, and, And listen, and I get that you're asking, because I'm just a person just like you, you know, you shouldn't try. I'm not above being manipulative, right? You know, you, people are, are the worst, right? So don't trust me. I get that. That makes sense. So if that's your concern, 
is that, because part of Cannonball is about financial generosity. And so if you're worried that that part, that the, all the rest is just designed to manipulate you because it's all about the money, here's what I would just say. Number one, pay attention today. Because today we're going to talk about what the Bible says about generosity. And what you'll discover is that generosity is core to our discipleship. So the reason we're talking about generosity is because it's not like you can be a sold-out disciple over here and stingy over here. Okay, generosity is part of our discipleship. That's the first thing I would say. Just pay attention to what we're going to learn from God's word today. And you'll see we couldn't separate them if we wanted to. And the second thing I would just say is this, is even after you hear all we're going to look at today in God's word, if you're just still sure this is just some trick to get more money for First Christian Church, then here's what I would, I would ask you to do. Obey God's word, but give it to some other church. Because the only thing I care about is your obedience and submission to the word of God. I promise that's the only thing I care about. And if your skepticism of me and my motives makes you less likely to obey Jesus, then just, just obey Jesus and give it to some, some other church that's advancing the gospel and proclaiming Christ. I would never want your skepticism of me, as well-deserved as it might be, I would never want your skepticism of me to prevent you from just absolutely surrendering to God in your life. So we're going to talk about it today. Uh, in fact, this is on purpose. You're going to be thrilled about this too. On purpose, I have written and constructed the most boring sermon I could possibly write. Um, there'll be no props today, even though I love props. I'm a big fan of props. There'll be no clever phrases, no alliteration today, none of that. All we're going to do today, uh, in fact, you're going to need your books. Uh, you're going to need page 53. Uh, there's a place where you can take notes on every message. Look at page 53. It's just a bunch of blank lines. And here's all we're going to do today, okay? We're going to go to God's word. We're going to discover what are the theological foundations of generosity. And then we're going to look at what does God's word teach about the practice of generosity. Why do we give and how do we give? And, and, and I hope you're taking notes. You'll, you'll use every single line. We've got, got, got nine lines. We've got nine things. Four theological and five practical, and I want you to just write them down. And then my challenge to you is to what you will have, well, together, what we will have created by the end of the message is you'll have created a little Bible study that you can take home and do yourself. And you can read these texts. And do not be convicted by me today. Be convicted by God's word and the Holy Spirit. And then I think it'll be clear to you the link between discipleship and generosity. And you won't have to wonder if we're somehow shoving this in, if it's somehow sort of trick. It'll just be right there in the text. So take some notes. Let's jump in. On the first line, you're going to write number one. This is in the theological foundations for biblical generosity. Number one, our hearts follow our money. My challenge to you is to actually write it down. Build yourself a little Bible study. Our hearts follow our money right next to it. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. By the way, if you miss any of these, I'll put them up at the screen at the end. You can take a picture with your phone or something and you can get them all because I want you to get this from God's word. This isn't about me. Let's read it. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
This is not the way we think. We think that our money follows our heart. And Jesus says it's the opposite. Jesus says your heart follows your money. This is from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most important sermon. He says, be careful. If all of your money is invested in this world, then your heart will be invested in this world. Our heart is like, our, our money is like a magnet for our soul. I, I learned this the hard way in 1987. Uh, October 14th of 1987, I invested $100 in Coca-Cola stock. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a lot to you. Maybe $100 is nothing to you. But I'm telling you, for the 13-year-old boy I was in 1987, $100 was a huge pile of money. It was two birthdays and two Christmases saved up, scraped together. I'd been planning on this for months, and I invested $100 in Coca-Cola stock on October 14th, 1987. And suddenly, I learned what Jesus said here. My heart followed my money. On October 15th, 1987, I discovered something that I didn't even know was true before. This is before the internet, folks, but it used to be before the internet in the newspaper. There was a whole page in the newspaper, a tiny little print that told you what all the stocks had done the day before. On October 15th, I woke up and to discover that my $100 of Coca-Cola stock was now $102 of Coca-Cola stock. And on October 16th, the first thing I did, I ran to get the paper and I opened up and I discovered that my $102 of Coca-Cola stock was now $104 of Coca-Cola stock. It was amazing. And, and, and I was so disappointed on Saturday to discover that the, the market wasn't open on Saturday. And so my, my, my wealth, my empire, my investment empire didn't grow any on Saturday and it didn't grow any on Sunday. And a very few of you already know the punchline to this story. You know what happened to my poor little 13-year-old heart on October 19th, Monday, October 19th, 1987. That was the single greatest stock market crash in the history of our nation. And my $104 was suddenly worth 50. And I was heartbroken. I was heartbroken. I had never cared about the stock market for 30 seconds in my entire life until I put my money there and suddenly I cared about it. And, 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 and part of it was because I had put so much money there. I suppose if I had invested $5, I might, it wouldn't have captured my heart in the same way, but I had invested $100. It was basically all the money I had, I had put there. And it had my heart. And this means, this first issue means that what we do with our money is a core discipleship issue. We can't, because it is a magnet for our heart. If, if you're doing the study with us, I hope you are. We'll explore this idea further in, in the study. Skyland's got a great teaching on how our money follows our heart. All right, number two, theological foundations for generosity. God is the source of all that we have. God is the source of all that we have. Deuteronomy 8. Maybe you can write that down. Deuteronomy 8. This is after, uh, this is a warning from Moses as God's people are entering the promised land. Listen to how Moses warns them. Be careful lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his rules, his statutes, which I command you today. Lest, and listen, he's going to describe the life of a wealthy person. 
He says, be careful, lest when you have eaten and are full, have built houses and live in them, when your herds and flocks multiply, your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will get high. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the wilderness with serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground, who brought you water from the rock, who fed you wilderness with manna, who, th- that he might humble you and test you. Beware. Beware, he says. Let you say in your heart. Do you see how this is a heart issue? My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. If you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. God is the source of all that we have. Even the ability to work and earn a living is from God. Everything belongs to God. And and, and Moses warns, he says, if you get a little wealth and you start to trust in your wealth and you say, this is my wealth and I got this wealth, Moses, Moses says that's actually a pathway to idolatry because you are relying on yourself and your strength rather than relying on the provision of God. And what this means is that this sentence, this this very, very normal, listen to how normal this sentence sounds. I get to decide what to do with my money because it's my money. That sounds like a super normal sentence, right? Like that totally makes sense. I get to decide what to do with my money because it's my money. That sentence sounds to us super normal. And yet Moses says that, that sentence is in direct contradiction with the word of God. It isn't our money. It's God's money. And just like we do with every other area of our life, we don't get to decide what to do with it. We get to submit to the will of God and we ask God, God, it's your money. How do you want me to use your money? And and the good news is the Bible is clear. God wants you to use some of that money to feed yourself and care for your family. God is a generous God. You don't need to worry. You never need to be afraid to tell God, God, what do you want me to do with your money? God loves you more than you love yourself. But we also don't get to say, I get to decide what to do with my money because it's it's not our money. God is the source of everything. Number three, generosity is a testimony to a surrendered life. Write that down, number three. Keep your note, don't worry, I'll put it back if you get behind, but keep keep up your notes because I'm not trying to persuade you. What I want you to do is go back and get into God's word and let God's word convict you or not. But this is between you and God. Number three, generosity is a testimony to a surrendered life. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing a letter to the Corinthian church because they had made a commitment to generosity, but they're having trouble following through. And so he writes to them. Here's what he says. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overwhelming joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Boy, that sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? Their poverty welled up in generosity. 
That's because we misunderstand generosity. We think that, that a great philanthropist who has a billion and gives 100,000, that's generosity. No, that's not. That's pocket change. Generosity is that which demonstrates our trust in God and anchors our heart to the work of God. In fact, it's actually easier for the poor to be generous because it takes a lot less to anchor their heart. What's hard is for the wealthy to be generous because it would take a lot to really anchor your heart. He says, their extreme poverty welled up in generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. How is that possible? Well, because God provides, not us. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Listen to that. Look at that order right there. They gave themselves first to the Lord, and because they were all in with Jesus, generosity flowed out of that. Generosity is a testimony of a surrendered life. Number four. Generosity protects us from idolatry because it anchors us to God. Generosity protects us from idolatry because it anchors us to God. Here's Jesus again, Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God or, and money. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather, but your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you of more value than they? And which of you, by your worry, can add even a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Look at the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus says that our clinging to our wealth is a demonstration of a weakness of our faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is why we teach on biblical generosity. Because Jesus says that there is a, there's a war of worship in our souls. Are we going to worship the things of this world or are we going to worship the God who gives them to us? And when we put God first, we use our money God's way, we trust in God for provision, our lives are anchored to God by the work of generosity through us. Because what you put first is what you really worship. And what you rely on is what you really worship. And where your hope is found is what you really worship. And what you trust in is what you really worship. All right. Catch up in your notes. You're going to take this home. You're going to read it. You're going to study it. It doesn't matter if I convince you. It matters if the word of God and the spirit of God convict you. Maybe take a picture with your phone if you're having trouble keeping up. Number one, our hearts follow our money. Number two, God is the source of all we have. Number three, generosity is a testimony to a surrendered life. Number four, generosity protects from idolatry because it anchors us 
to God. All right, I had about three more in my notes, but you're not getting all of them. So if you want more, I'll give you more another time. Now let's talk about how we give. Does the Bible have any commentary about how we give? And yes, it turns out the Bible has a ton to say about how we give. So I hope you got some lines left. Number one, the most common instruction the Bible gives about how we give is this. Give first. This instruction shows up in God's word hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. It is the clearest and most often repeated instruction about generosity to the work of God's kingdom. Give first. One example, Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. In January, we studied the festivals of the Jewish calendar, and we discovered that three of the seven festivals were harvest festivals. And in every one of the harvest festivals, the first thing you did at a harvest festival was you gave the first fruits of your crop to God. Now, now you may be thinking to yourself, it seems awfully risky to give to God first. What if you run out of money for important things later? Well, yeah, it is risky. If you were a farmer and you gave the first fruit of your harvest to God, well, what if there's a windstorm the next day and your whole crop is destroyed? Or what if there's a a disease that kills all your cattle? To give first to God is risky. That's what makes it a declaration of faith. It is a declaration that we trust that God is sufficient to provide for our needs. So it's risky, but it's trusting. It anchors our hearts to God because we become dependent on God for our needs. We could find this instruction all over the place. And the consistent instruction to give first to God makes us realize this. If we fail to give first to God, well then first of all, we'll only give God the leftovers. And giving God the leftovers doesn't anchor your heart. It just doesn't. You are not invested in that gift if it's your leftovers. But secondly, we rob God of the chance for meeting our needs in miraculous ways. And everybody I know who has spent their whole life giving first to God has a story of where God has met their needs in miraculous ways. Everybody I know has that story. And and that testimony matters to me. I've got stories like that. And that testimony matters to me. And we take that chance away from God if we do not obey the Bible and give first to God. Number two, give first proportionally. Again, after giving first, the the second most frequently taught thing in scripture about our giving is that giving should be in proportion to our income and our wealth. We can look at lots of Old Testament texts that talk about tithing. Tithing was the discipline of giving 10% of your income to the work of God. Um, Tithing is not commanded in the New Testament, but this principle of proportional giving shows up all throughout the New Testament. Here's one example from 1 Corinthians 16. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, there's give first again, I told you, it pops up everywhere. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. That is the instruction to give proportionally. Saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. 
Many Christians today still find the tithe to be a helpful proportional benchmark. That's been super helpful to Betsy and I. Um, you know, when you sit down uh, with a mortgage person or a, a realtor, one of the first questions they're going to ask you is how much money do you make? And I just want to tell you up front, they won't think twice about suggesting that you spend 30% of your income on your mortgage. They're just going to take whatever number you tell them, calculate 30% of it and say, great, let's go shopping for houses. So if you want to give first and you want to protect that gift, here's what I would suggest. Just when they ask you how much money you make, tell them 90% of your salary. If you're also committed to saving, tell them 80% of your salary. Just tell them a smaller number and buy a smaller house so that your, your house and your lifestyle never threatens your generosity. This practice has been so helpful to Betsy and I. Now, now, for some people, you're, you're, you're going to start proportional giving uh, below a tithe because you've, you've already baked in, you've already made so many commitments, you wouldn't even know how to start with a tithe. And for some of you, a proportional giving of a tithe is not a gift enough to anchor your heart. I just want to be blunt. I know that sounds crazy, but for some of you, a tithe is not enough to anchor your heart. And that's the level. That's how you know how much to give. Give enough that it fills you with joy and it anchors your heart. That's, that's what we're trying to figure out here. But whatever it is, give proportionally. Uh, Three and four, we're going to bundle together because they're from the same text. But these are also all throughout the Bible. Number three, give cheerfully. Number four, give abundantly. We give cheerfully because it is a joy to give what God has given us. We give abundantly because that is how our God has blessed us. 2 Corinthians 9 is where you're going to go for this. 2 Corinthians 9, check this out. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. And for some of, them, you, some of us, we would have to say, God has already blessed us abundantly. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound. That's that same word, abundantly, in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will supply and increase your store of seed. That's material goods. That's stuff, money. He will increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest that comes from our generosity, which is a harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. I love this verse 11. This is one of my favorite verses. If you ever find that you're unexpectedly blessed and you wonder to yourself, why did God bless me like that? Why has God enriched my life? This is the answer right here. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Give generously and give abundantly. Last thing we want to say about how the Bible instructs us to give. <clears throat> the Bible instructs us to give regularly and in specific response to a need or opportunity. Um, so far, all the texts we've looked at, every text we've looked at so far is about regular giving. It is about an ongoing, consistent pattern. As God blesses us, we immediately, first thing we do is we give back. 
maybe every week, every month, however you do it, however God, however you receive your income as a discipline, this is what all, this proportional gift as the first gift back. Everything we've talked about so far has been that regular giving that the Bible clearly commands. But the Bible also commands giving beyond that, what's often called offerings, that is in specific response to specific circumstances. Uh, there are lots of examples in scriptures. This is why, by the way, on the, on the commitment card that we'll be using uh, on Commitment Sunday on March 3rd, or many of us tonight at Advanced Commitment. I hope you're there. It's over on Milligan's campus. We'll give you details later in the service. Be at Advanced Commitment tonight. It's going to be awesome. But on that card, there's a place where you can talk about your annual giving, your regular giving, and where God is calling you for that. But there's also a place to give stored resources as a special offering for this special moment, because this is the pattern we see in Scripture. Uh, Just one example, Acts 11. During that time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a famine would spread over the entire Roman world. The disciples, as each one was able, there's that proportional giving again, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So there's an example in response to hunger. They did a special offering. We're doing some stuff with hunger through Cannonball. Uh, here's a building campaign. The, 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 the Bible's filled with building projects. Um, Exodus 25. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive an offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. And this was so they could build the tabernacle. Now that happened in Exodus 25. Unfortunately, there were some distractions. There was this thing with a golden calf. It was a deal. So it actually took him 10 chapters to get around to doing this. But here's what happens in Exodus 35. Moses says to the whole Israelite community, This is what the Lord commands. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat hair, ramskins dyed red, durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil, spices for the anointing oil, fragrant incense, onyx stones, gems, you know, everything. Oh, also bring your skills because we're going to have to build a tabernacle for the Lord. And this is the pattern we see that there was regular ongoing giving for the work of God's purposes, and then there were special offerings for feed the hungry, build buildings, advance mission opportunities, all sorts of different special offerings throughout God's Word. All right, let's sum that up. Take a picture if you need it, if you lost track of your notes, or fill in the gaps in your notes. What does the, how does the Bible tell us to give? What's the how? The Bible tells us to give first, give proportionally, give cheerfully, give abundantly, give regularly and in specific response to need or opportunity. And what I want to say to you is, don't be convinced by me. Take some time. Take this list. Take the notes. Take your booklet home. Open your Bibles. If you need a Bible, uh, they're under the chair in front of you. Just grab a Bible. Take that one home. Read the Word of God. And ask yourself, is this a place where I need to move forward in my discipleship? Am I giving in a way that anchors my heart? Am I giving first before all, putting this as a priority before everything else? Just ask yourself, am I living in a way God's word calls me? I will tell you as a matter of testimony, I know so many people that are living this way, that have studied God's word in this way and are living in obedience to God's word in this way and the, the blessing that multiplies in their life spiritually is so profound 
And I want you to experience that. Uh, I could tell you so many stories, but, but one, one, one story I do want you to hear. This is Cal and Brenda Wilson, and they've been trying to live this way for a long time, and they just wanted to tell their story a little bit. Here they are. We got connected through Cal's boss who, at the time, who was uh, Bob Sluter. And Bob invited Cal and I to church, and we came, and we stayed. So we've been here for a long time. Uh, whenever we came as an early married couple, for the first several years, we didn't attend any kind of a Sunday school class. But then Joe and Sue Suttle, they had an affinity for young people, young married couples. And so that Sue started a Sunday school class called the Home Builders. Sue was an excellent teacher, and she had a challenge every Sunday. Uh, we were having a lesson on generosity that time, and we were studying tithing within the Bible, and, and the tithing is a huge stretch for a young couple to immediately break out and start tithing 10% of your income. So the message Sue had was, start somewhere. Just start somewhere. Everything is God's. He's given it to us, and He's asked us to give back to Him and support His missions. So we started, we can remember it was 3% that we started at way back then. And it, uh, it just affected our lives. We'd been giving before, but you know, not a percentage. And so we decided we would, we would uh, give the 3% and they, it had to come first. That check was the first check we wrote, you know, by the end of the month, it was getting uh, close, but maybe that month nobody had strap or, <laughs> or had to have medication that we had to buy. But it all worked out. The 3% worked out. And as years went on, the percentage went up. Well, we weren't satisfied with the 3%. And, and we immediately began to think of ways uh, and if we could, and we did. And then, um, of course, as you have kids in college and those kind of things, that challenge holds you back somewhat. But all through those years uh, in our career, we have just moved up the ladder. And then it just became a way of life. You know, you've, you've heard it said that you should fashion your life with giving 10%, saving 10%, and living on the rest. And in today's society, that's really hard to do because our society wants us to spend everything on ourselves. But we made that commitment that we would do that. And, and God has really blessed us and refilled the bucket to, uh, a number of times. So much of what we received is from the church. As we uh, get more involved in the church, the church, and I'm talking about the people, the people get more involved in us. The church is God's work here, and if we don't support it, no one else is gonna support it. The society is not gonna support it. So, and we're called, really, to support the kingdom. So it just became a commitment. I serve in the safety team and, and the number of new faces that I see is incredible. The number of people that I don't recognize is incredible. We need a place for them. 
we need to realize that the church has a mission and that mission is to reach as many people as possible in just the same way that we were reached years ago they need to be reached and since we're here with the assets we need to support the church in society today there's so many challenges against the church that and against the family we need to do what we can to offer opportunities so at, at, we need to be strong the church needs to be strong it needs to be a place of sanctuary it needs to be a safe place that our kids can come in a loving place and a place where people can be drawn to know Jesus. And I, I think there's such joy in giving. When you give a gift to someone that's, oh, you shouldn't have done that. I just say, don't take my joy away. This makes me happy. So I think that increasing our giving to the church has increased our joy. You can't outgive God. And, you know, I mean, every day when I wake up and breathe, and I know what it's like to have hard time breathing, um, but I mean, just the air that you breathe, I mean, everything God gives us. And we would be so selfish not to give back. And this church has meant a great deal to us. Yeah. Cannonball discipleship will always include sacrificial generosity. And, and sacrificial generosity feels super risky. But the Bible is so clear and so repetitive to teach that actually the risky thing is to cling to the stuff of this world. Because this world is passing away. And to cling to God, well, that is the thing that makes sense. That's the secure thing. You can't be an all-in disciple unless you've begun the work of letting go everything else you cling to and trust only in Jesus. Trusting Christ above all things. Obeying Christ above all things. Putting Christ above all things. And that includes, of course, our temptation to trust and cling to and manage our wealth. That's for God to manage. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, after he says, you can't serve God in money, after he says, do not invest in treasures on this world, but invest in treasures in heaven, he concludes that little section with this. He says this, seek ye first, the kingdom of heaven and all the rest God will supply. Let me pray for you. Gracious God, capture our hearts. Teach us to belong utterly and fully to you and guide us if there's a next step we need to take in generosity or service or love, whatever our next step is, God, would you just make that clear from your word, speak to our hearts, convict us by your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.